free market democracy promotion, because this is a really important point. During the so-called Maidan revolution, there was all these fact checkers from the mainstream media who were saying PolitiFact and Snopes and all of that. They're saying, oh, well, everyone's saying that the United States was funding the protesters and that wasn't true. That's a big, big lie. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. And here we go. So there's a critical piece to the Euromaidan puzzle, the role of Western governments. Oh, and by the way, this article, it's really good. It, it, you know, it's the Jacobin, so there's so there's issues in it. But uh, Bronco uh, Marsetic, this is a, a good article called A U.S.-backed far-right-led revolution in Ukraine helped bring us to the brink of war. It's a recent article, February 7th, so I found it helpful. I'm not going to read it all for you now because of this deadline. I'm actually uh, going to be off of here probably 3.15, 3.30. So I'm just going to fast forward a bit. You can read the whole article Jacobin, but as I said before, the role of Western governments, a critical piece to this puzzle. For decades, Washington and allied governments have pursued their strategic and economic interests under the cover of promoting democracy and liberal values abroad. Sometimes that means funneling money to violent reactionaries like the Nicaraguan Contras, and sometimes it means supporting benign pro-democracy movement like those in Ukraine. Okay, I want to call them benign. That's a not a good term to use, but nonetheless... This is very true, that the United States has done this in so many places. Hong Kong recently, 2019, 2012, 14, also in Hong Kong. We can go down the line constantly, right? Bolivia helped foment the 2019 coup with this money being funneled in. We now know the rest of China. They're trying to foment things there. Laos, everywhere you can think where there's a possibility that a government or a people will chart their own destiny, Cuba, etc. There will be NED money flowing either into those countries or into forces outside of those countries seeking to destabilize them, seeking to destabilize these efforts. So external actors have always played an important role in shaping and supporting civil society in Ukraine, says Ukrainian scholar Erna Selenenko, who wrote this in 2015, pointing to the EU and the United States through agencies like the NED and the U.S. Agency for International Development, who are good friends, Samantha Powers is now head of under Joe Biden, uh, and whose Kiev headquarters were in the same compound as the U.S. Embassy. Very convenient. One can argue without external support, which has been a major source of funding for Ukrainian civil society since independence, that it would not become what it is now. And so this was the case in the 2004 or five Orange Revolution, which actually also overthrew Yanukovych too. Uh, he actually had to go into political exile for a little while, and then he ran again, and he became one of the more trusted politicians in Ukraine. But so foreign NGOs changed little about Ukraine's corruption and authoritarianism, but achieved a crucial goal of nudging Ukraine's foreign policy westward. As a liberal center for American liberal center for American progress, I think we want to call that more neocon center for American progress. So anyway, again, there are problems with this, but did Americans meddle in the internal affairs of Ukraine? Yes. The American agents of influence would rather would prefer different language to describe their activities, Dem democratic assistance, democracy promotion, civil society support, etc. But their work, however labeled, seeks to influence political change in Ukraine. So even from the Center for American Progress, which is a neoliberal, neoconservative leaning think tank, has admitted that there was U.S. meddling in Ukraine, but yet the left can't admit that. U.S. officials unhappy with the scuttled 
EU deal saw a similar chance in the Maidan protests. So Yanukovych in 2013, uh, leading into the 2014 unrest, had decided that he was not going to admit Ukraine or put Ukraine on a pipeline to NATO and was going to actually keep relations between Russia and the EU more balanced rather than go and kind of go all in with the EU, which would mean the IMF and all of that. So there's a lot of concern in Ukraine about privatization, which has happened since the coup. But there was concerns among Yanukovych and his section of the Ukrainian elite that that would cause political issues, which it has. That's exactly what's happened. So just two months before they broke out, the NED then president, pointing to Yanukovych's European outreach, wrote that, quote, the opportunities are considerable and there are important ways Washington could help, end quote. In practice, this meant funding groups like New Citizen, which the Financial Times reported, quote, played a big role in getting the protests up and running, led by a pro-EU opposition figure. Journalist Mark Ames, really cool, follow him on, we follow each other on Twitter, really like his work at Radio War Nerd, discovered the organization had received hundreds of thousands of dollars from U.S. democracy promotion activities. So there you go. While it may be a long time before we know its full extent, Washington took an even more direct role once the turmoil started. You remember this, guys? John McCain, Chris Murphy met with Svoboda's, Svoboda's fascist leader standing shoulder to shoulder with him as they announced their support to the protesters. Well, this is the great one. Victoria Nuland, Secretary of State, assistant to the Secretary of State, was handing out sandwiches and cookies to the protests. To understand the provocative nature of such moves, you only need to remember the establishment outrage over the mere idea Moscow had troll farms to voice support for Black Lives Matter protests. So later, a leaked phone call showed Newland and the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine maneuvering to shape the post-Maidan government. Fuck the EU, Newland told him over its less aggressive intervention into the country. Yats is the guy who got economic experience, she said, referring to the opposition leader, Asani Yatsenyuk, who backed the devastating neoliberal policies demanded by the West. You can probably guess who became prime minister in the post-Maidan interim government. That was him. It's an overstatement to say, as some critics have charged, that Washington orchestrated the Maidan uprising, but there's no doubt U.S. officials backed and exploited it for their own ends. So that's a political deviation. That's why I'm not a big fan of the Jacobin a lot, because I think when you have that level of involvement and you're the imperialist hegemon, that means that if even if it's not a direct manipulation, that that indirect covert soft power is actually achieving the same ends as, let's say, U.S. troops on the ground literally strong arming a government to do what it wants or strong arming a movement to do what it wants. I, I don't see the point of saying that, but here you go. It's, it's the Jacobin after all, but it's still really good information that shows you all of the ways in which the U.S. was involved, even in just that moment, right? From the NED funding to these key groups, to the fact that U.S. officials like Victoria Newland, like John McCain, were literally on the ground handing out cookies, hobnobbing, rubbing shoulders with Nazis in order to overthrow the government. So... Here we go. Let's keep going. Revolution unfulfilled. Much as in 2004, Orange Revolution, the outcome of the Maidan Revolution, though no fault of the majority of well-meaning, frustrated Ukrainians who helped drive Yanukovych out. Here you go. That's let's let's pretend we didn't read that, but we did, and it just shows some of the ridiculousness of this. But was neither 
peace, instability, nor move toward liberal values and democracy. And in fact, most of the protesters' demands have gone unfulfilled. Well, of course, because I don't actually believe there were many uh, legitimate demands there. But here we go. The same, we have to talk about power. And unfortunately, Jacobin has some issues with that. But this is part of the left, the left's problem, right? At least what calls itself the left. The same far right that had led the charge in toppling Yanukovych, including uh, Peruby, found themselves with plum rolls in the interim government that followed with the winner of the 2014 snap presidential election, Petro Poroshenko, its seventh richest man, had a history of corruption. His interior minister soon incorporated the Azov Regiment, the Azov Battalion, which is a neo-Nazi militia, into Ukraine's National Guard, with the country now a mecca for far-right extremists around the world who come to learn and get training from Azov, including, ironically, Russian white supremacists who were hounded from their country by Vladimir Putin. So there you go. Putin's supposed to be this big fascist, awful racist, but... He's anti-fascist, and a lot of these fascists ended up joining the Azov Battalion. Now, I don't know if you remember also during the 2019 protests in Hong Kong, the Azov Battalion also went to Hong Kong to express their solidarity with those far-right protesters. So this far-right movement backed by the United States is global in character, and it ranges from the official Jair Bolsonaro regime, regimes in Hungary, Poland, to also these more grassroots forces. I don't even want to call them grassroots, but to these more paramilitary forces like Azov Battalion. So despite far-right par parties ultimately losing seats in parliament, ultranationalist movements successfully shifted the country's politics to the extreme right, with Poroshenko and other centrists backing measures to marginalize the speaking of Russian and glorify Nazi collaborators. Even so, far-right candidates have entered parliament on non-far-right tickets, and extremists like former Azov commander Andriy Belitsky have taken high-ranking law enforcement positions. While far-right vigilantism spread throughout the country, Poroshenko himself granted citizenship to a Belarusian neo-Nazi and engaged in some borderline anti-Semitism of his own. But little to nothing has changed about Ukrainian corruption or authoritarianism under Poroshenko, under either Poroshenko or either uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, elected in 2019 as an outsider agent, but he's turned out to be a real puppet torn apart, really. So each has governed like an autocrat using their powers to go after political opponents, weaken dissent, and have blah, 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 blah. So Ukraine, it says it's been embattled in a mini civil war, and that's that I don't like to put it in those terms. So, you know. What happened in 2014 and 15, and let's just actually end this screen share, okay? So uh, we're done with that article, and we'll go on to uh, Jenny Clegg's article in a few minutes. But uh, the point here is that the U.S. is heavily involved in Ukraine from the soft power funneling of money to these so-called civil society groups to giving political cover for neo-Nazis and fascists that dominate the parliament in Kiev. And this has to be part of the narrative. And it's not. But Stephen Cohen, even NBC, even mainstream, I was looking through research today, a lot of mainstream media actually acknowledge this to some degree because how can you not when it's at the just the material reality on the ground? But now... In this moment of, oh, the Russia is invading, you saw uh, Mr. Engel over at NBC 
literally do a whole segment covering the Azov Battalion, covering the uh, fascist paramilitary groups who were training grandmas and others, and, and not talking about how they were fascists, right? This is the level of discourse right now in the corporate media, the military industrial complex wing of the media. But even among leftists like Kyle Kalinske and others, so-called leftists, people who consider themselves independent, they just swallow the same narrative. They, they don't prioritize this. You need to prioritize the fact that your government is supporting Nazis, neo-Nazis and fascists in Ukraine. If you don't do that, then what are you doing? Why even talk about this? Maybe just stay in your lane. Let others have the space and opportunity to bring to a more mass audience the truth about these issues. But we don't, you generally have that. I focus more on China. We'll get to Jenny Clegg's analysis of how Ukraine is not just about Russia, but also about China and this overall new Cold War, which includes both Russia and China. You don't have a lot of that room opened up because, well, the new Cold War propaganda has worked in a lot of ways. People do have really, I mean, I think it's like somewhere in the 70 percentile range of negative opinion toward Russia. China, it's even worse, somewhere in the 80 percent range where people have a, a negative uh, view of China. So the new Cold War, when the military aspect of it and the propaganda aspect of it is so dominant, it has had a real effect on the American public's consciousness. So that's why it's so critical that we bring in this context, that we bring in the fact that the United States is involved in Ukraine, is militarizing Ukraine, giving Ukrainians military lethal aid, right? Calling it lethal aid, which indicates that it will be used for war. And the fact that let's just go over really quick, and this doesn't even take much explanation, but Donetsk, you know, Donbass, the 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 republics, the breakaway republics, they've been under heavy assault. Tens of thousands of people have been displaced. Thousands of people have died in this so-called civil war, which is really all about this far-right government attacking the eastern section of the country, which does not want any part of this far-right regime. It doesn't want any part of being completely cut off from Russia. It doesn't want any part of this anti-Semitic, anti-Russian agenda of the government in Ukraine, and it doesn't want any part of NATO. And that is why there is all of this controversy about Putin recognizing these breakaway republics. It's not because of concern for Ukraine. It's because the United States wants to see this so-called civil war reach the conclusion that it wants, which is the complete pummeling of end, of the entire Ukrainian, the entire country, right? The complete overthrow and overtaking of the entire country so that it can firmly sit in the U.S.'s camp. But Ukraine is divided now. And Vladimir Putin's message that he supports these breakaway republics and their autonomy and independence is a political move based on reality. It's based on the fact that they've already been treated as such by Ukraine's government, and now the danger is as such where it necessitates real political support from Russia even further than what's already been going on, because Russia has been supporting these uh, breakaway republics, and rightfully so. The Russian-speaking people, they identify a lot in a lot of ways as Russian. 
This is the legacy of the Soviet experience. This is the legacy of the region, the history. And it's just completely, it just completely blows my mind that people who don't understand and don't know would, would comment on this, right? So someone in the chat said, will this be posted in its entirety? Yes, it will be. It always is. So please do like the stream as I take a little pause, like the stream, subscribe to the channel, and also subscribe to the show and support it on Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny I'm about five subscribers away from my goal of 410 before the end of this month. And I would really be grateful if you could help me do that, support the weekly streams, or they're not weekly, but they're regular and they're getting to be more weekly and regular supporting that all the work I'm doing, producing, cutting this up and also support my weekly columns, which is really the majority of the work that I do. You get a little PDF copy of my 2019 book in there and I put all my work there. And so you can support this anti-imperialist journalism there. And I would really be grateful if you could. So we're going to move on though, because I want to get into the broader agenda because, you know, I talk a lot about China, but it's not because of just China. It's because of this world situation that Ukraine falls under. So we have to understand how the saber rattling over Ukraine, this Russian invasion madness is not just about Ukraine. It's about this global situation, this empire that is so desperate to maintain its hegemony and that understands that its system is unraveling, that its imperialist system is unraveling, that monopoly capital is unraveling finance capital, the rule of the rich is becoming untenable, that people, the misery, the illegitimacy of it all is reaching this breaking point where the world is trying to move in a different direction, this multipolar direction. And we have to understand that, especially in the belly, in the heart of the empire, where we can't even organize our own workers toward movements that are progressive and leftist in character. We have some workers doing some things about covid or something like that but we don't even have a labor movement or a socialist movement and a working class movement right now that's powerful enough to say okay we need healthcare jobs we need student debt forgiveness we need all of these things medicare for all all of that and we also need to roll back the war machine we need to ensure that these trillions of dollars are not going to the war machine to kill uh, workers abroad that is what we need because these issues are completely and totally related. But it's this foreign policy question, this question of peace, anti-imperialism, which really is a barrier, right? Because of the new Cold War thinking, because the United States is, right? If the U.S. is funding far-right white supremacists and Nazis in the Ukraine, guess where that comes from? That comes from the United States' own history, right? There's a deep bond, right? And Hitler said it himself. I don't know if you all remember this, but Hitler wrote in Mein, in mein Kampf, I, I've only read passages and I've read work on this, but he was very inspired by the U.S.'s genocide of the indigenous people by race-based immigration laws that excluded, for example, Chinese immigrants that excluded Eastern European immigrants, Jews, etc., from coming to the United States based on their race. He was very inspired by all of this. He was inspired by the U.S.'s racial project, its racist empire. And Nazism has very deep roots in the United States. So we need to not deny that because it can be easy when there is such a 
rightward shift and drift. And it just seems like there's a lot of silence about this. So we can't be silent about that because that also is part of this context. The new Cold War propaganda wouldn't work as well if it wasn't based in this deep white nationalist, imperialist, chauvinist, U.S. superiority complex. 